listen, guys, if you're just uh, connecting with us in the new year, we, we started a new series last week called Imprint, the Image of Christ. And this is a, a, a series that we're traveling through the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 through the month of January. Those of you online want to say welcome this morning. It's so uh, I'm glad you're up and at it uh, this morning at 1055 on Sunday morning. And... Uh, it's good to see you guys here in person. Um, listen, we're going to be in two main places today for our, our text. Luke 2, of course, and then this, the other is going to be in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Um, and we're actually going to start out in Colossians 2 before we get to Luke chapter 2 here in just a moment. But we're talking about and lingering on this subject of imprint, the image of Christ. The word imprint means to... Um, it, it means an, an image that is uh, that's impressed on something, an image. And in our case, what we're talking about is the image of Christ being impressed upon our lives. The image of Christ being impressed upon us. And we're looking at a few ways and what that looks like. Let's look at this opening text here in Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse 6, Paul, uh, the apostle, wrote this uh, to the believers there in Colossae, and we pick up in verse 6, chapter 2. It says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. And so, then verse 7, Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. So much to say in two verses. So just as you accepted the Lord Jesus into your life, then you must also continue to follow him. And so it speaks to us and gives us this direction for our life that faith in Jesus is more than just accepting him. That's the beginning of it being born again, being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus Christ, as you accept him as Lord and Savior. Paul then goes on and says, it doesn't stop there, it just starts there. You have to continue now to follow him. Continue to follow him. And he uses these, these descriptions, plant yourself, put your roots down into him. Make sure that your roots are not in this world, but your roots are in Jesus. And then as you plant yourself and root yourself in Jesus, then your life will be built on him. In other words, he's the firm foundation from which our lives are then built. And the stronger a foundation is, the more careful attention a foundation has been given as it's formed and as it's framed and as it's poured and laid, then will determine the strength of the building that is built upon it. Uh, the higher you want to build something, the deeper your foundation has to go. The greater your life wants to blossom, the deeper your roots must travel down, and it's all pointing to Jesus, okay? All pointing to Jesus. And so, through life, from season to season and different situations that we find ourselves in, and through the scriptures of the Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, then 
begins to make a change in a person. Obviously, when you're born again, there's an initial transformation that takes place, an initial change that happens. But then as we carry on with life, as Paul says, continue to follow him, then greater things begin to happen in us. The formation of Christ, the image of Jesus being impressed upon us. And then pick up in verse 8. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. He says, for Christ lives in all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Why is it that Jesus is the most important? Because verse 10 tells us we are complete. At the end of verse 9, it says, In Christ, all the fullness of God lives. And then our life in Jesus then has the fullness of God coming alive in the heart and the life of a person. And so, but Jesus is the one who unlocks that, who unleashes that, who opens it all up far and wide for the fullness of the life of God to live in a human life. Jesus does that. He says, you know, don't, don't let anyone capture you with these things, these empty philosophies, these high-sounding high nonsense. I would just paraphrase it in my vernacular and say, don't get lost in the smokescreen of the narratives in this world but fully embrace with your heart and soul, mind and strength, the imprint of the image of Christ in you. Because here's the thing. It's so easy to get lost in the, in, the, in the smoke screen of the narratives of this world these days. So easy. Everything pops up and you can see it on your smartphones or on TV or wherever it is, wherever you view it from. It's, not, it's nonstop. The news cycle, the TV, remember the... Uh, I, I'm barely old enough to remember that at midnight the TVs used to go to a almost a blank screen. In my day it was a snow. It was the fuzz. And they might have played the, the national anthem maybe. Somebody a little older than 45 can tell me. Um, you, it, it, it used to end and you'd go to sleep. You didn't stay up at weird hours of the night trying to look at things and find stuff. You just, it's over day's done going to bed and you gotta wake up whatever the next morning when news came on or whatever to be able to find out anything or the newspaper dropped at your doorstep or whatever it was it's not that it's so much different then you know that and now it's so much different but here's the thing there's so many smoke screens out there there's so much nonsense you ever find yourself asking yourself maybe here lately i just don't know what to believe anymore i don't know what to think anymore about some of the things in this world but here's what we can bank on. This never changes. The Word of God never fades. The Word of God never loses its oomph, if you will. It always has it. It always has it. And the kingdom of God never changes. The ways of God, the will of God, the Word of God, all of that never changes. People try to make it change and make God's kingdom adjust to this world's time frame and, and, and ways, 
but you can never overpower the kingdom of God. God never has given his keys of the kingdom up and turned over control and said, you know, I'm just going to step down from the throne. I just can't do it anymore. No, his, he, that never changes. And that's what Paul's getting at. Look, put your life in this position to anchor, to plant, to root, to bury yourself in Jesus and let the life and the image of Jesus be formed in you because that is who you were originally created to be, to be like him. You know, I said this last week, just because the calendar changes doesn't mean life necessarily changes. But for our life to change, we got to have more than a rollover of the numbers of the calendar, and we got to have the rollover of God's Spirit at work in our life. If we want to change, then we've got to put ourselves in this position that Paul describes. Don't just accept Jesus as Lord. Don't just be content with having salvation stamped on you, but then let salvation fully work in you. Work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. Let the work of the gospel be free in you. Let the work of the kingdom of God operate in you. Let the fullness of Christ work in you and imprint, impress his image on your life. That we must seek him. And when we find him, he finds us and we find out who we really are. And so he then enables us and empowers us to this move forward in this world. Yes, we should pray for our world. Yes, we should pray for our country. Yes, we should pray for those in leadership and in authority over us. Absolutely, we should pray and believe the Lord for the kingdom way of God to be expressed and to come through and to be visible and to be tangible and to be real on this planet. Absolutely. But at the same time, there's much energy and effort and thought that we put into that. We need to make sure that if not more, we make sure our roots grow deep down in Jesus and they're not growing deep down in the philosophies and the nonsense of this world. Because the philosophies and the nonsense of this world will not be there when we pass. They don't sustain us for eternity. Jesus is the only one who can do that. Jesus is the only one who will welcome us in the afterlife of this world. He's the only one who's going to come back one day, his second coming, and save us and set up a new heaven, a new earth, where everything will be perfect, and there will not be any corruption, there will not be any greed, there will not be any grief, there will not be any sorrow, there will not be any conflict, there will not be any war, there will not be this nation or that nation or this people or that people, because that is thrown. There is countless numbers that we cannot fathom. The waves and the sands on the sea cannot outnumber the people that will be at his throne forever worshiping. Worshiping the King of Kings. And so Paul says, Look, live this life that you get, this one life. I'm, I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. I am going to live this life, the one and only life I get, however many years I get on this, on this planet. I will live for the glory and the kingdom of God. I will not waste myself on empty philosophies and nonsense like Paul said. Don't get caught up in the narratives of the smokescreen of this world. 
But make sure you put yourself in the front of the mirror of the Word of God and let Jesus be alive in you. Let Jesus be all to you. Let Him be your everything to you. And let Him change you. Let Him hold you. Let Him keep you. Let Him flow in you. Let Him be everything in you. So we're looking here. Luke chapter 2. We're looking here in the early formation progress of of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 takes us from the birth of Christ, takes us all the way to when Jesus is 12, and it shows us this, this formation period of time, this progress of how Christ Jesus is formed and fashioned and how he grows and how he develops. And it gives us this picture for us, there should be this evidence inside of a believer's life that shows that Jesus is growing in us. There should be this evidence. And so we're going to follow this for the next couple of weeks as we started last week in Luke chapter 2. Today I'm preaching a message that I've titled, The Day Came. The Day Came. Let's look at this in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. But prior to this, the day came, Jesus was born, verse 21. Eight days later, the day came when the baby Jesus was circumcised. He was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. So, The angel visited Mary, initially told her what was going to happen. You're going to name him Jesus. The angel ended up visiting Joseph, told him the same scenario. You're going to name him Jesus. So the day came when Christ Jesus was born, the Messiah, the Savior of the world came. Then eight days later, the day came when his family, his mom and dad, took him in, and they named him, and he was circumcised. So we're going to look at those two ideas, those two thoughts, those two actions of he was named and he was circumcised. He was named speaks to his identity. He was given a name. He had an identity about who he was. It answers the question of who I am. See, when we're born again and we accept Jesus as Lord into our life, then we take on this identity of Jesus. That is ultimately who we are. And so I want to just look at a few Descriptions about who we are in Jesus. We've got five of these. Number one is, in Jesus, my identity is I am a new creation. I am a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You can follow along on the screen here. It said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Jesus, when you accept him as Lord and Savior, you become a new creation. All things passed away. In other words, my past doesn't define me. Anybody glad your past doesn't define you? I know the world likes to just just encroach on and, 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 and magnify and leap on and jump on our past. It's sad, but... you. you Some people bring up things people did 20, 30 years ago these days. 
that one moment or that mistake in your life in your past is, does not necessarily define you and make you who you are today. And that's the point of Jesus. He makes us a new creation. All things have passed away. In fact, the devil is really good at whispering lies into our ears to accuse us of our past. But our past doesn't define me. In Jesus, we are also the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might become right standing with God. In Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. It tells us that my current shortcomings don't make me. I'm a new creation. My past doesn't define me in my current life, in my current going, my shortcomings don't make me anyway. If on my worst day, I am still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That our shortcomings like to get the best of us and like to, like to tell us that you are nothing like the Lord. And people sometimes can say that as well. But in Christ, we are the righteousness of of God. Our past doesn't define us and our shortcomings right now that we have in our life, they don't make us. Here's another one. In Jesus, our identity is that we are more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. Romans 8, 37 says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors even in these things, what things? Well, just prior to that, it lists several things, tribulations and trials and conflicts and di different situations. That tells us this, that my situations that I go through in life, they don't have to control me. Don't raise your hand, but how often do we let situations control us? Probably more than we would like to admit. But situations sometimes get the best of us because we're still working this thing out. We're still working out our salvation. Things are still in the progress. So listen, don't let a situation that got the best of you yesterday or last week or last year or whatever it was, that, don't, that doesn't mean it's got to carry on in your life. No, in Jesus we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Situations don't have to control me. In Jesus, our identity is we are victorious over sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Paul says, but thank God. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm relieved. Thank God there's an answer. Thank God it's not on me. Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ, not through our efforts, not through our prayers, not through just our Bible reading, not just through coming to church, but he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our identity in Jesus is we are victorious over sin and death. That means I don't have to live by fear of failing or fear of death dying, those things don't dictate me. Fear of failing, 
fear of missing out, fear of dying. Those who are in the Lord don't have to allow those things to dictate us. Here's another one. In Jesus, our identity is we are an overcomer in this world. We are an overcomer in this world. 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5. He writes, you see, every child of God overcomes the world. For our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. Our faith triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In Jesus, we are an overcomer in this world. That means that this world doesn't own me. This world doesn't own me. It can't buy us. It tries. The world tries to buy us. The world tries to buy bits and pieces of our heart and our life over time. But if we, are to, if we are to really be imprinted with the image of Jesus, we are called and can live as an overcomer in this world to where this world and all that it has to offer cannot own me. It certainly did not own Jesus. And that's what really ticked everything off. Everybody. The religious system, the political system, the, the economic system, the day-to-day system. Nothing and no one could own him. He could not be bought. He's saying, look, in Jesus, we are called to live as an overcomer in this world to where this world doesn't own me. Because we're not called to be like this world. We're called to be like Christ. How is this even possible? How does this happen? How can we live as a new creation, the righteousness of God, more than a conqueror, victorious over sin and death, overcoming in this world that we live in It's possible because of Jesus. It's possible because of Jesus, not just that he was, but that he is, and that he is still to come, and that he lives in me. He lives in me. Greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in this world. The hope of glory, Christ Jesus. Greater is he who lives in you. John 16, is what Jesus said. I've chosen the amplified version for this, for this particular verse. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. Man, how would you like to live 365 days a year in perfect peace and confidence? That sounds like a really good spot to be in. It says, in the world, ah, here it is. In the world, it's not just going to be tiptoeing through the tulips. It's not always going to be hunky-dory. Not always going to get what you want. You're going to have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. Okay, that's enough. But be of good cheer, and here's where it expounds, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, what a word, undaunted, 
Why can you be of good cheer? Why and how can you take courage and have confidence and be certain and live undaunted? Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. That's how come. That's why. I have overcome the world. He says, I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Why wouldn't you want to put everything you got in Jesus? The one who who conquered the world. He's already completely overcame it. And that's how it's possible that we can live in our true identity in Christ, a new creation, as the righteousness of God. Even on our worst day, we can still be who God says we can be. As a more than a conqueror, as victorious, as an overcomer. Here's the thing, to live this true identity, it takes more than just accepting Jesus. We have to continue to follow him. In other words, I got to let the Holy Spirit go to work in my life. I got to give him complete and total permission to deal with me, to mess with me, to wreck me, to convict me, to challenge me, to change me. I got to give the Holy Spirit room to operate in my life in order to be everything God says I can be. And that's what happened. Jesus shows us, not only was he named, it speaks to his identity. He was circumcised. It speaks to his probability. It answers the question, what I can become. What I can become. Circumcision was a sign and is a sign of covenant with God, meaning to cut. But in the New Testament, we find out it's, it's not just a physical thing. There's a spiritual thing that takes place. Let's look at this, Romans chapter 2. You guys with me today? All right. Romans 2 verse 28. I've chosen the passion for this part. Paul writes, You are not a Jew if it's only superficial, for it's more than the surgical cut of a knife that makes you Jewish. You are Jewish because of the inward act of spiritual circumcision. And he says this, a radical change that lays bare your heart. It's not by the principle of law, but by power of the Holy Spirit. For then your praise will not come from people, but from God Himself. In the New Testament, we see that it's not just about obeying God's law only on its own. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that produces the change in a person's heart. Because you can try to dot every I, cross every T, and be really good. But you will still lack what only God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring and do in your life. Because it's more than just that, he says. Let's, he expounds on it again to the church in Colossians where we opened up in Colossians 2, verse 11. He says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So we see that it's also it's not a physical procedure that goes to work in us, but it's a spiritual procedure that takes place. And so Romans and Colossians tell us this, that the image 
and the likeness of Christ developing in us doesn't happen by my natural obedience only, trying to do good and just trying to be good. Because that alone, living that way, removes Christ, Jesus, from the equation. You'll never, you'll never be able to do it. It says, and it doesn't happen from our physical strength trying to willpower our life, trying to willpower myself to be different, to be better, to be changed. It's more than that as well. It's a work of the heart by the Holy Spirit. It teaches us this, that it's the cutting away of old, fleshly, unhealthy attachments in our life things that God says, you just really don't need that anymore. That part of you needs to go. That, that, that thing in your life that continues to raise its head up and continues to recycle itself in you, it's time for that to, to be gone. There's, there, there, you don't need that working in you anymore. You don't need to be codependent on that. You don't need to revert back to that. When things go wrong in your life and you constantly go this way, really you need to be going this way, that's what God's saying. That needs to go. So think about it. It leads us to the question, what are some things in my heart and my life that God is pressing on me to surrender to Him? What are some things God really wants to deal with in my life this year? What is it? Think about it. Think about that. What, what, what has he been trying to get your, our attention on here lately? That it's going to take more than just reading a good book. It's going to take more than it's trying to just, you know, push your way, power your way through it. Because it never really was about brute strength and might and force and power. It was about surrender. It's about surrender. And it was about then letting His Spirit then work in us. I want to close with this. And so... In Luke 2 here, we just traveled through one verse today. Our identity and our probability, who we are, what we can become. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, kind of at the end of the love chapter, if you will. He writes this, he says, you know, when I was a child, I spoke about childish matters. I saw things like a child and I reasoned like a child. I threw temper tantrums. I yelled. I did whatever I could to get my way. I threw that part in there. But he says, but the day came. The day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. The day came. The day came for Jesus to be born. The day came for him to be named, to be circumcised. The day 
come to us sooner or later when we will have to decide. You know, I just, I'd rather have the Holy Spirit work this thing out in me. Meaning I'm going to give you full control and surrender. I'm going to yield to you, Holy Spirit. I'm not going to try to white knuckle this and willpower this thing in my life anymore. I'm not going to try to finagle and manipulate it. I'm just going to face it head on by yielding to you. The day will come to us when we must decide if we're going to let the Holy Spirit work in us or if we're going to continue to try to work it ourselves. Because when He takes over and does His thing in our life, then He's able to bring about a greater image than you and I could ever produce on our own. And that image is Jesus. The fullness of Jesus being expressed in our life. Can you imagine that kind of what Jesus was saying in John 16, perfect peace and confidence? And what Paul elaborates on, the love of God. That happening in us, that flowing in us, more days than not. I don't want to be content with be like, you know, I'm at three out of seven letting the Holy Spirit do His thing in me. I'm three days out of seven. Not bad. Not bad. But not all that God wants to do. I don't want to just be that. I'm not, I don't even want to be five out of seven. I mean, in, 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 in stats, that looks good. But it don't... I don't know if you, you, you follow college football or not, but I don't, there's a team that I, I don't root for, but Alabama. I choked there for a second. No offense, any Alabama fans? But the coach, Nick Saban, he has this mystique about him. He has this trail behind him that he could be up 40 points he's still going to make it the best rest of the game he can make because he cannot stand to lose. Cannot stand to lose. Cannot stand to lose. Why would we be okay with just five out of seven when the potential is in us to go seven out of seven? I'm not insinuating that we're going to live perfect days. I'm not insinuating that there's not going to be a circumstance that doesn't whip us one day or the next. I'm not saying there's not going to be something that we fall to or any of that. What I am saying is that let's not be okay with three or four or five out of seven. Let's give our life fully seven out of seven to Jesus and let the power of the Holy Spirit produce in us everything that God wants to produce in us and make happen in us. David had to come to this conclusion. In Psalm 51, I just say, if you've got your Bibles open, your phones open, close it and put them away. This message is not even on the screen, this verse, intentionally. So don't try to find it or put it up there. I'm not going to read you something that's not in the Bible. I'm doing this because I just want you to hear it. If you're in person here, I'm just asking you to close your eyes. If you're watching from home in a safe room, Close your eyes. 
The day came for David where he had to just turn it all over to the Lord and let him have his way. And he prays this prayer, Psalm 51. I've chosen the message. I'm reading several verses out of it. Part of his prayer he prays is this. Just listen to, the, to this. And the message words it a little different. He prays, soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Tune me into foot tapping songs and set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes, but give me a clean bill of health, God. Make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence. God, my salvation, God, I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, and I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. What a prayer. A prayer of sincerity. A prayer of surrender. And if we know anything about David's life, it goes on to tell us about David. That he lived with a heart after God. He had a messy life. He he made some messy mistakes. But prayers of sincerity and surrender equal the day will come. The day will come when God will break through into our life and break forth with a newness that we can't even describe. That's why we take 21 days to pray and fast as a church the beginning of the year. We're in week two. And I want to encourage you, anyone, if you have not joined in with us as a church to commit to this time of prayer and fasting, I'm, I implore you, I encourage you, fast something. Give your time to the Lord. Seek the Lord. You will find Him. When we pray prayers of sincerity and surrender, it equals that one day, the day will come, God will break through. There will be a change. There will be a difference. There will be the image of Christ coming more alive in us than the image of our flesh. I need that. I need Jesus more than I need myself. I need Him to be big in me. 
I need him to breathe deep in me, just like he did with his disciples in John 20 when the doors were closed, the day came and he broke through and he breathed fresh into their life. I need his heart to beat in my heart. I need his vision to be my vision. Come on, if you want that for your life today and you're in here, stand. If you're at home and you want that, I just encourage you, you might be lying in bed, stand up on your feet, give God an acknowledgement that I want the Holy Spirit. I want the fullness of what God has for me this year. Again, no matter the situations around us, we really don't have control of those. People like to think they do people aren't in charge God's in charge we got to remember that God's in charge our responsibility our posture our position surrender sincerity that gets God's attention and that makes God want to move lift your hands to the Lord Holy Spirit As we conclude our time here today, there's a lot of unknowns out there, a lot of unknowns right here in our own neck of the woods, in our own life. As your word tells us, we don't know what today tomorrow holds. Don't worry about tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. Focus on today. And today, in this moment, you're calling us to embrace our identity in Jesus. And when we embrace our identity in Jesus, you're calling us to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit to circumcise our hearts, to cut in us, and to cut away some things that we know that you are calling us to let go of, to change in, to be different in, to be stronger in, to be more humble in. So Lord, do that in us. As we lift our hands to you today, We pray these prayers like David prayed with sincerity and surrender. And we know the outcome leads to you breaking through in our life. You turn our mourning into dancing. You turn our ashes into beauty. You you turn our life upside down and set it upright to make sense. To be who you created us to be. And so I pray today, wherever there's a hindrance in our life, wherever we have allowed the works of the flesh to be greater than the work of the Spirit, I pray today that we would just lay that down. We would not try to flex up on you. We would let you flex in us. Be big in us. Be strong in us. Be great in us. Oh, Lord, break the walls down. Break the dams down. Let the river flow in us again, Lord. Let the work of the Holy Spirit flow freely in our life. Flow freely freely here in our church. Flow in this land, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Move in us. Yes, we want you to move in our country. But God, it starts somewhere. It's got to start here in our heart at home. Move in our heart right here where we are. Where we've been numb to you. Wake us up. Let us feel your spirit and your presence where we've been afraid to move forward God dismantle that fear 
Break it off of us. Shatter it off of us. Break the shackles off of us. I declare that we would be free. We would be loose. We would be everything that we could that you've called us to be this year, Lord. That in spite of all of these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Make us, oh God, to where we could leap over a wall. That we would have a spring in our step. We would not be lulled to sleep by the narratives of this world, but we would rise in freedom that Christ gives. Start it in us. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us. And let us become everything you want us to be in this year, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you believe that, give God thanks. Clap. Tell him. Express that. Hallelujah, James.